You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday, the 2nd of March. It's pretty cold for the time of year here in TW11, but a nice bright start to the day and there are certainly more positive vibes as regards the chances of reigning Cheltenham Gold Cup hero Aplud Tar defending his crown. Henry de Bromhead has issued positive messages in today's Trade Daily, The Racing Post. Um, assistant trainer and the man who, who helps uh, strategize a lot of the horses, former jockey Robbie Power, he's been very positive on his, on his Tattersall's Island video blog. And a few moments ago, I posted a call to uh, the owner uh, of Aplutar, Richard Thompson, from whom you'll hear in just a few moments. And he's got interesting news of that horse, of Sir Gerhard, and confirmation that the Brown Advisory is the likeliest target. Bally Adam could go to the county hurdle and more, plus an update on the health of Alaho. Rishi Passad, though, joins me first of all. Uh, Rishi, um, Aplutar last year, he bounded up the Cheltenham Hill. Galapin des Champs or no Galapin des Champs, if he returns in the same form, is he just the obvious bet of the meeting? Well, Nick, I haven't had a bet in the Gold Cup yet. Uh, nothing's appealed to me until the positive vibes about Aplutard from Henry de Bromhead. The fact that there was an excuse for the run in the Betfair chase was a relief more than anything else because that clearly wasn't the, the horse that we saw in the Cheltenham Gold Cup. In fact, the horse that we saw last season. And that performance in the Cheltenham Gold Cup was simply sensational. Remember, he got shuffled back at a slightly inconvenient point, but then the way he quickened up uh, up the hill was just uh, fantastic. And if he can repeat that sort of performance, I think Gallop Andershant will have a huge challenge on his hands. I mean, obviously, we just don't know how good Gallop Andershant is because he's still unexposed at this trip. But at the prices and the way the race is set up, Aplutard's a cracking bet. I, as I say, put a call into Richard Thompson. Things haven't all been plain sailing for the Chibley Park start ownership this year after a wonderful run of success the previous couple of years. Their star, Alaho, is on, on the sidelines. More of him in a few moments' time. But I began by asking uh, Richard whether he was feeling the warm glow as regards Aplutard's preparation of late uh, in trying to defend his crown. Here's what he had to say. Yes, I am, Nick, absolutely. Um, obviously, as we know, it's been a bit of a bit of a tricky uh, campaign for him but uh yeah as, we, as we're two weeks away now or 15 days away i think uh we're looking it's all looking positive so uh just fingers crossed it can remain that way i mean how how despairing were you at any given stage well look i think you know the betfair chase you know i, I went obviously to haydock um he got pulled up as you know there were probably you know, he traveled perfectly he'd, he'd, be, he'd be in perfect shape when he got to haydock from ireland but when he obviously went back to ireland he was not in good shape at all his bloods are all wrong and then of course a few weeks later when he's back on uh, back in uh, form again he's uh, pulled out of the savils on the morning of the race uh, you know after christmas because of the uh, the knock he sustained the day before which then became infected so you know, having had such a good campaign with them last year, culminating with the Gold Cup, obviously, um, which obviously was the pinnacle, uh, this year's been, 
you expect these things in racing, but of course, you know, been very tentative the last few weeks in terms of the build-up to the Gold Cup, in terms of what's gone on. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it all feels good at the, right, right at this very moment. This is a horse that obviously loves Cheltenham. This is a horse that's obviously got proven track record at uh, Cheltenham and has won and been second in the Gold Cup. So, you know, and Henry's a very cautious man, of course. You know, totally understand that. And it's been a tricky time for Aplutar. But yeah, no, it's, um, I'm certainly feeling the, uh, I'm certainly feeling a lot more positive now about him. That's great news. Uh, Sir Gerhard, I was looking at Willie Mullins' comments on Sporting Life, and he seemed to be leaning towards that three-mile novice novice chase with him, which is, I don't suppose, something we could have predicted necessarily at the beginning of the season. Is is that the way you're all you're all moving now, the the Brown advisory? Well, the Browns is definitely, you know, I always thought it was 50-50, but, but it feels the Browns is definitely the favourite now, yeah, as we head towards the, uh, the you know, the, the decision-making uh, time. So uh, I think it'll be the Browns. Um, but obviously, you know, with Willie, obviously <laughs> we'll find out in the next few days, but that's the way it's looking, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, we, I've joked about this with lots of high-profile owners on on the podcast, and it's almost become a, a bit of national hunt mythology, hasn't it? About you know what what Willie does in the in the lead up to Cheltenham. I mean, do you do you play it differently with all the different trainers that you have? Do you do you have different relationships with them and sort of treat them differently, if you like? I think that's right. I think that's right, Nick, because because everybody, as you know, human, whether it be business or life generally, everybody's. Yeah, individual aren't they so um, and you and I think when a trainer like Willie the success he's had and you understand the way he works and the way he does his best work is that uh, this is the way it is so uh, you accept that as part of the deal um, you, you know in terms of having horses with uh, someone like Willie but of course as you say each train is different and of course you, you have your own different sort of levels of or different communications with, with, with each of them as to their own individuality uh, but would you say you're more of a go with it sort of guy than a kind of stamp up and down and say I want it to run there kind of guy oh totally Look, I think at the end of the day you've got to when you appoint the train when you put a trainer when you put your horse when you send your horses to a trainer they are the boss I mean they are they are in charge so I think as you as you get to know as an owner as you get more experience more understanding and of course what you want out of a horse or what you want out of your um um ownership of a horse you know what you're looking for you can then obviously explain maybe and articulate uh, how you see things yourself but it's, i think it's always the, the, the trainer the, the trainer is the is, is the boss the day-to-day boss so uh, i'm certainly uh, you know you point someone in, you put someone in charge and let them get on with it i mean that's obviously the sort of that would be the uh, very much where i'm coming from any little yeah, for sure, sure. Any little surprises for us likely at Chell? I mean, you've got quite a few entries still. The you know, Bally Adams knocking around in a couple of the handicaps. Um, uh, obviously, no, no Alaho will come to him in a minute. Uh, Grange Clare West is still in. Uh, uh, old Envoy Allen still, still, still in a few races. What are you anticipating running all of those? No, I think we'll run. I think at the moment it'll be four. I think it'll be Sir Gerhard, Aputar, Bally Adam in the county probably on the Friday, and uh, Envoy in the Ryanair. And, and how's he doing? He's a bit of a, he's a, a bit of a forgotten horse, really. Is it, for, for, you say forgotten horse? Right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, I think Envoy's. You know, as you say, seven Grade Ones. He's won twice at Cheltenham. Um, he won the obviously the uh, the Dan Royal cha- Champion Chase earlier in the season. Great performance that day, and then of course really disappointed in the uh, K- King George on Boxing Day. So that was a a really flat performance and this is a horse obviously who was the you know a, a bit like other horses in the, in the past the second coming at a, at a certain point in time maybe two or three years ago well up until he fell in the um, 
in the um Turners, wasn't it, when he fell in the Turners, um, effectively, at, uh, in 2021, the lockdown uh, Cheltenham. But uh, look, I mean, I'm being told, again, that he's obviously in great form at home. Um, you know, he's in. He's he's got the talent. Uh, what can I say? I mean, you know, as I say, he owes us nothing. He's won seven grade ones. This is, this is, this is a horse that's given us a lot over the last three or four years. And uh, although he hasn't quite maybe encapsulated or achieved what some people might have thought he might have achieved, it's still a bloody good performance, you know. Mm, so uh, yeah. you know, fingers crossed, he can. He's got look. He's got Shiskin, isn't he? And he's the runner is going to be a top top race this year. Shame that Alaho is not running. I know it comes in a sec, but uh, hope the hope that he'll uh, put up a good performance. Is Alaho recovering? Yes, he is. No, he's in very good shape actually. I think he's. Just again, unfortunate. This is what happens. As we know National Hunt, and we've had a purple patch, and now we now we've had a bit, a bit of a bad run with the injuries, but. He's uh, he's definitely recovering on on the way back, uh, and, and we're, we're delighted with the, the, the recovery in the last couple of weeks. But um, of course, he had the problems, with, you know, late, late, you know, um, before the King George as well, which is why he didn't run the King George, or well, he was never going to run the King George from a few weeks before. So, uh, but yeah, you know, apparently all good again with Alaho. So uh, you know, hopefully he'll run the full year of the season. Oh, that's that's very good news. Um, look forward. Hopefully. Look, hopefully, yes, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Look forward to that. And what about Inspiral? How's she doing? Apparently, yeah, <laughs> cracking. I mean, in great shape. Um, looking forward to seeing her potentially in the lockage. Excellent. That would be, you know, where she may probably head in, in, in mid-May. But um, no, look, we're we're delighted to have her back in in, in, in remaining in training. And uh, as you know, three times Group One winner, twice uh, twice Cartier, uh, two two and three year old champion. Um, fingers crossed, she can add to her CV this year. Right, that was Richard Thompson. Just threw him the Inspiral one there. She's in training, of course. The dual Cartier champion will begin her campaign in the Lockinch. Good news that Alaho might be seen before the end of the season, Rishi. Definite uh, Sagar Hard, it looks like, for the Brown Advisory over three miles. Mm. Stand by. That's, that's, that's cut that race open a little bit. And, uh, and County Hurdle for, for Bally Adam amongst, amongst everything else. Yeah, the Sagar Hard news isn't that surprising, actually. You've pointed out in the chat with um, with Richard about Willie Mullins's vibes regarding where Sir Gerhard would go. And Willie Mullins had made the point maybe a couple of times already this season after his comeback run that he probably needs a slightly slower pace over a longer trip to help his jumping. Um, and with that in mind, it would probably be the best option for him. I mean, it is extraordinary. Last season, I thought he was a super, you know, I thought he was worthy of taking on Constitution Hill and John Bond and Supreme, and he obviously ended up running over further. And here he is again, running over further over fences um, for a horse that I think has a lot of pace. But if he can stretch that out over three miles, then he might be very, very good. He suddenly just sprinkles a little bit of stardust on that race, a race that just looked lacking in a little bit of star quality. Speaking of staying chasers who could excel at the Cheltenham Festival, what about Churchstone Warrior, trained in County Cork by Jonathan Sweeney, who's saddled but five individual horses this jump season as he bids to take on the big battalions with a horse of great consistency after Navan, he was equivocating about whether Cheltenham would be the definitive target. Uh, this is what he told me from his base in County Cork earlier on this morning. Yeah, sure. Um, that's what, yeah, we're, we're working him out in Avonwell. Um, yeah, we're happy with him. Um, that, that, that's the plan, Nick. That's the plan, yeah. That's the plan to try and go, yeah. He, he has been very consistent all, all the way along. Um I just think a little bit of time and a bit of age with him. 
So I, I just think it may just going going through his pedigree. If you look at his pedigree, it's an old pedigree that you know just just took a bit of time to come. Yeah, I, I was just I was just having a look back through it. In fact, it's a it's an old Aga Khan family, isn't it? Paddy's return, the the Triumph Hurdle winner back in the fourth or fifth dam. So it's a yes, it's a, a good a good staying pedigree. Um, just just in terms of of sort of where you see his future beyond this, Jonathan, have you have you have you had him in mind as a as a Grand National horse or something like that at some point? Yeah, we always thought that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's got an entry in the Irish National there yesterday. Um, sure, I suppose after the last day, or even going into the last day, the National Hunt Chase was kind of the plan, you know, provisionally. Um, so yeah, that, that's what you imagine. He is that's the type of horse he is. He's a yeah, a staying chaser on heavy ground. Um, I yeah, I just think he might be a bit better on nice uh, and safe ground. He doesn't want it very quick, like you know, he 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 hits the ground hard enough, you know. Um, but yeah, he he he's probably nicer on a bit of nicer ground than a lot of the mallers are. And who's going to ride him, Jonathan? Um, James Hannon rides him. James has done everything on him from the very start. Um, he's done all his schooling there as a younger horse before he ran his pint to pint. Um, I, Derek rode him in his pint to pint, but um, James would have done everything on him. He he get, he had a race course schooling him prior to he running in Galway at the start of this year, last October around Tipperary. Um, he schooled him in between. He's done a lot of work with him on grass and things. So. I don't think there's anyone knows the horse better. And Jonathan, for for him and for you, uh, you know, you're a you're a well connected guy who's who's clearly proven time and again that you can train horses well. But for someone who's only saddled a handful of horses in 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 this season, to be to be there at Cheltenham with a horse single figure price, big chance, eyeballs on, yeah, what, how does that feel to you against the against the huge battalions? I'm sure, I suppose that's what it's all about, Nick. Is that like butcher? I suppose I wouldn't take if me going to Cheltenham. Um, like I suppose I don't get any more excited as if I was going down the road to to going to a pint to pint. I, I listen to we're going to do the same thing. We keep our feet in the ground. Um, but they're the days you work for. Like that's like I'd have a small number of horses. And I've been lucky enough to always the last few years to have a nice horse there, a black type horse to come through in them. Like, and um, no, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's great. Like I, I said that to James. I said this is, you know, this is um, this is uh, this is what we do this for. We're going to go and enjoy it. You know, I said it's good, good to, like I wouldn't have an awful lot of horses, Nick. So what I have, I have to to make them count. You know, so you know, um. So listen, we as of today, Nick. I know we've under two weeks to go. Like, but as of today, we're very happy with the horse. You know, that was Jonathan Sweeney. Very good to make his acquaintance. He doesn't train many horses, Rishi, but the ones he does seem to do quite well. I was looking through this horse quite closely. You don't get mm. many horses who are that consistent, who just run to their to their very best virtually every time they turn up. Yeah, and over hurdles, and he's transferred that form from hurdles over fences. He's been so 
rock solid. I mean, the run, if you look at some of his form over hurdles, it's, it's pretty good. He's actually third to Jerry Colomb um, after running in grade ones and, and running well in, in, in a grade one. Um, and his runs so far over fences have been good. You know, the run behind Gael Domineau, Gael Domineau bolted up at Leopardstown at Christmas time and, and he ran pretty well, Churchdown, worry behind him. And then, of course, he's come out and won at Navin. He's just the sort of horse that you feel is going to run his race, <laughs> whether there'll be one or two that have a little bit more up their sleeve uh, come the festival is always the issue. All right. It was the revealing of the handicap weights yesterday for the nine handicap races at Cheltenham, over 570 entries for those races. Many of them, of course, trained in, in Ireland. Uh, Gordon Elliott was interviewed by me and he uh, suggested that Imagine uh, was a horse that, excited him as regards one that might be quite well handicapped the horse immediately went from 12 to 1 into into 9 to 1 rishi what caught your eye uh a whole host of them nick a whole host of them and actually one horse in particular uh who was behind imagine sorry who was ahead of imagine last time so imagine finished second at navin to hunter's yarn and hunter's yarn i think for the county i, I watched this horse in his last couple of runs it just looks to me like he's just understanding what's coming to him now. He looks like a high-class hurdler. He travels so beautifully through his last couple of races on good ground last time as well. So, you know, by the time we get to the county, you're thinking that this is a horse that uh, with a strong pace, good traveller, jumps pretty well, touch wood. Um, I think he's probably going to be a top-class hurdler in time. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's running in the champion hurdle next year. I think he's really smart, Hunter's Yarn. And he's in the county. Um, I've had a look through a few of the other handicaps as well. Um, there are two. Now, I know that obviously Ireland dominate uh, the Cheltenham Festival and Ireland dominate particularly over uh, hurdles in comparison to fences um, at the, in the handicaps. Um, but I do like one in the Potemps. Um, obviously, Nicky Henderson has a very strong hand. I like Captain Morgs. He's, he's always been a really talented horse. Um, they... Uh, put the cheek pieces on him last time uh, when he won at Cheltenham and he cruised around, absolutely cruised around, stepped up in distance as well. Um, and I think he's got a lot more in hand than we saw him win. I mean, the third horse home that day was Annual Invictus and he came out and won at Newbury recently. I think this is a horse that still has a little bit in hand. So hopefully Captain Morgs in the Potemps might be the best, at least the best in the Henderson runners. And I'm going to throw one at you at a price. You might laugh at this, but um, I, well, I say he's a price. He's actually about twelve to one. But um, unexpected party in the grand annual uh, for Dan Skelton. Now he's a horse who oh, over the, this is one of those skeleton horses that's been on layaway, isn't it? Well, I think so. <laughs> I mean, he, he's been so, the other thing as well is he's such a strong traveller through his races. And you might have heard me mention that about Hunter's Yarn and Captain Morgs. I think it's I think it's imperative for horses to travel well. It's very rare to to see you know uh, a horse given the 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 type of ride that um, you know you, you're off the bridle all the way and win. I think I, I prefer to see horses travelling easily, uh, jumping well, and I think unexpected party is that kind of horse. And he's obviously over further. Uh, both over hurdles and fences. He's run with a great deal of credit, travels really well, doesn't quite get there, dropping back to strongly run two miles over fences at Cheltenham. Thought he ran a great race behind Stage Star. Um, I think he's probably got a few pounds, maybe, you know, maybe more, hopefully, in hand. And I think he's got a lot more to come over fences. I, I really like him for the Grand Annual. <laughs>
Well, time now just to tie up the loose ends from the Saudi Cup of 2023 with Martin Kelly, to whom we've been speaking the last few weeks. Martin, just overall, what was the what was the general feeling about about the event, its its global reach, its success, and so forth? I thought, personally speaking, Nick, they they'd absolutely nailed it this year. The this, I thought the site, the branding. Uh, the fact that there was no temporary facilities, it was all um, in, in bricks and mortar, um, was good. The racing was top quality. Japan dominated again, three winners on the night. But I thought overall of the four years, you've seen it grow and progress every year. But I, I thought this year they, the team there had really nailed it. I guess top of the wish list is is Europeans in the in the big race, isn't it? That that's got to be top of the hit list for next year, hasn't it? Yeah, and we came off the close, didn't we, with uh, with Saffron Beach and with the two big Americans. But yeah. Uh, British representation in there. We've seen that it can be done with uh, with Mishrif. Um, and I guess we've seen Yoshito Yahagi with Panthalassa. He said that horse had had one go on dirt in Japan. His gut feeling was that, that the surface, given it's a sandy surface, would suit a turf horse. So the incentives there, I think, to show that turf horses can go there, be competitive, not to be competitive, but also win in the Saudi Cup. A rematch between Panthalassa and Country Grammar in the Dubai World Cup. Who comes out on top, do you think? I would imagine Country Grammar. He was flat to the boards, wasn't he? All the way around on Saturday. Remarkably, how he got up for a second, I don't know. But the two-turn mile and a quarter, the extra furlong, I think will certainly play into into his favours. Panthalas was able to dominate at the weekend as well. But I think that the longer trip and that the difference of the track, I think, would play back to, to Country Grammar's strength. And Panthalassa, along with his stablemate Bathrock Leon, both shipped out to Dubai uh, this week's there. Both out there ready for Dubai World Cup three weeks on Saturday. I was crossing myself for not paying closer attention to the weights in the Longines Red Sea Turf handicap and not realising just how well in the winner was. And, and that's because Japanese middle distance horses of the absolute top quality run routinely in two mile races so the stayers tend to be dragged up and they're, they're just better they're in they're in hotter competition than they are elsewhere in the world and to be getting a stone off subjectivist or whatever he was was an awful lot it was yeah for a trainer who's done well hasn't he the trainer had a favor finish second in the arc of 2012 to uh, Solomina. but yeah getting plenty of weight to horse who would certainly have been staying on well enough at the back end of the race given he's got that form over two miles in Japan, albeit subjectivist, I think was disappointing. I know he'd been off the track 612 or 618 days, but I think Charlie Johnson had been talking quite a good game in the build-up to uh, the Red Sea Turf. I thought he'd go better than he did, but he blew out. Maybe he'll come on for it on the back of that layoff. But um, yeah, Silver Sonic did well. And despite getting that big weight differential, um, even if subjectivist had turned up on his A game, um, I think Silver Sonic would have still been um, ultra competitive. Yeah, and he'll just keep rolling. I'd love to see him in the Gold Cup at Ascot or something like that. I wonder if we'll see Bathrat Leon in, in Europe again. He was he was a very good fourth in the Sussex last year. He's got lots of, lots of natural speed. Yeah, he took the 1351 sprint coming back down in distance. Uh, Godolphin Mile winner last year, of course, on dirt. He was fourth in the Sussex, seventh in the pre-Jacques Lamarois. Made all to win, dropped back in distance to beat Casa Creed, who was second once again there. Uh, Songline was disappointed in that race, only beat one home in the end. But I'd imagine Bathrat, who has, I say, shipped back to Dubai, he'll um, he'll have a good go at uh, defending his uh, Godolphin Mile crown. And to what extent do you think the Frankie Dottori ridden Breeders' Cup sprint winner Elite Powers performance was the the standout of the night? I totally agree. Yeah, he was so dominant, wasn't he? Uh, Frankie described it like uh, riding a or driving an aeroplane. Uh, he skipped nearly what four lengths clear in the closing stages. Big win for Bill Mott. Big win for Judmont as well, of course. Uh, the late Khalid Abdullah, a Saudi native, he beat Gunite. And Gunite's also shipped out to Dubai. We'll see him there. 
in a few weeks' time. Um, and just as well, Nick, we touched on uh, Yuichi Fukunaga last week, had his final ride in that race, and he finished third aboard Remake. And the locals had some significant success in the in the Saudi Derby. I mean, that really was a, a heavyweight clash, wasn't it? Two horses that had given absolutely everything, giving giving not an inch between them. I, I thought the significant point was that the jockey um, Morales whipping the earplugs out in the closing stages. Yes, that was something we, we talked about um, the day afterwards, unaware that you could actually do that. Um, but he did do so, and uh, Commissioner King went on to beat uh, Bob Baffert's having a meltdown, as you say, that big battle down the home stretch, your head separating them in the closing stages. I just wonder whether something like the UEA Derby might suit the winner quite well. He did stay on strongly towards the line. That was always the doubt with having a meltdown, whether he would truly see out the trip. And a few of those actually shaped well in behind for the UEA Derby. Um, S. Unico was fourth, staying on well from the back of the field for Antonio Sintra. And uh, Yoshito Yahagi, well, he said Continua was his best chance of the meeting. That horse ran OK, finished fifth, and he'd be one to keep an eye on for the UEA Derby in a few weeks' time. Uh, John Gosden was amongst the winners as well with Son Thady. Uh, with Mostadaf. The interesting thing here, Martin, I mean, with Mr. Cut not running well, it probably didn't take a, a massive amount of winning this race, but he was very impressive, beat a pretty solid group two yardstick in Dubai Future. It's a question of where do you place Mostadaf now? Well, he was an improver last year, wasn't he? His only bad run was on very testing and bottomless ground in the arc. He was down in distance to the mile and a quarter, but as you say, not beat an awful lot. Mr. Cut got stirred up before the start of the race and you can actually put a line through that. So not the strongest piece of form, but the way he did it, the manner in which he did it, stride seven lengths clear, I thought was impressive. He could have a very good year in those mile and a half, maybe not quite group ones, but the very top class races, he should be competitive. And that was indicated by the fact he was cut into nine to two from 16s for the Shima Classic. And that would seem a logical target, a horse who has travelled well. The track at Maidan will suit him. And the extra couple of furlongs going back up in distance uh, wouldn't be an issue either. All right, Martin, thanks so much. You've uh, very much enjoyed the road to Riyadh. We'll see you again soon. Cheers, Nick. Thank you. All right, Rishi, just want to take stock of the of the Dubai racing now that the main uh, action in Saudi Qatar Bahrain is, is drawing to a close, mm. but uh, Dubai very much has the stage uh, to itself, the main stage to itself in that part of the world for the next few weeks leading up to the, the World Cup. And Super Saturday, the second most high-profile day, comes around this week. Will you be there? I will be there. <clears throat> Nine races. Uh, all pretty competitive. Bit of disappointing news coming out today, Nick, that Rebels Romance, who was due to line up and compete in the Dubai City of Gold ahead of having a go in the Shima Classic, the Breeders' Cup Turf winner. Sadly, he is a non-runner. He was found to be lame. Um, but they're still hoping to get him lined up for the Shima Classic on World Cup night, which would be terrific were he to line up in that because it's likely he would face uh, the Japanese Horse of the Year Equinox in that, which would be uh, some clash. Um, but there's some really good racing uh, in support of the Super Saturday meeting. As always, big fields, uh, very competitive, uh, lots of horses travelling over for, for this meeting in particular. So exciting times. Well, the fact that it was actually light when I got up this morning at about six o'clock tells you that we're not that far away from the best of the, of the flat racing. I realise Cheltenham is dominating everything at the moment, and so it should. But once we're through that main tree, then we're moving on to the 2000 guineas and beyond and of course it means we have breeze up sales season the most high profile of which is the craven breeze up sale which takes place on the roadie mile 17th to the 19th of april i'm joined now by tattersall's chloe pitts and chloe 
2022 was actually a pretty remarkable year for this for this sale. Just tell us why. Yes, well, 2022 was a benchmark year, really, for the Craven Breeze Up sale, uh, with two classic winners. I think there had only been one prior Breeze Up winner of an English or Irish classic in 30-plus years of their existence. So to have two Guineas winners in one year was extraordinary, really, um, from just 121 horses sold at that Craven Breeze Up. So that's a remarkable strike rate. Strike rate, And um, two classic winners sets the bar pretty high for the years to come. Um, but from the horses sold at last year's Craven, we've had an extraordinary 11 group enlisted performing two-year-olds already. So um, the future looks pretty bright. And Native Trailer and Cache very different ownership one to godolphin one to syndicate ownership in high clear one to charlie appleby one to the rising force that is is george bowie a colt and a filly two very different horses in terms of physique and both horses that are going to kick on into 2023 as well uh, 202 lots in this year's catalogue i know it's difficult to pick out highlights but there must be some that that knock you between the eyes yes well the quality of the catalogue really runs in step with the incredible ramping up of quality that we've seen at the Breeze Up sales in the past decade in general. And um, we've got plenty of pedigrees this year that wouldn't look out of place at book one of our yearling sale. Um, I think some of our standout lots this year are the Kingman half-brother to champion Golden Horn. Um, there's a Medagliadora colt out of the Breeders' Cup turf sprint winner, Belvoir Bay. And um, we've also got full brothers to one of my favourite uh, group warning sprinters in the Tin Man and to uh, the Wooden Basset colt Wooded, who won the Prix de Labbe and is now embarking on a career at stud. And we've also got some really smart fillies, including um, the half-sister to last year's Chibli Park Stakes winner, Lazoo, who... Um, and will be offered by Tally Ho Stud, who consistently provide uh, the top lot at, at the Breeze Up sale and some really smart performers in the last couple of years. To breeze on the Roly Mile and to breeze well is um, an extraordinary test of an inexperienced two-year-old. It's, you know, as you know, it's a huge expanse of land and open sky and a course that's famously quite challenging, even for the most balanced three-year-olds um, when they hopefully, like R2 did, come back to the guineas. So um, it's no wonder, really, that the sale's proven to be such a good source of top-class performance. It, it requires athleticism and a good mind, which are normally pretty good indicators of success in a racehorse. And the bonuses, obviously, have been a, a huge feature as well. The £250,000 Tattersalls Craven Royal Ascot Group 1 bonus. And you've got a winner in the first year in Native Trail and that £15,000 Craven Breeze-Up breeze up bonus. I mean, to what extent do you think that drives interest in the sale? Yes, I think it's a huge part Um Tassels. Uh, it's one of many ways that we look to reward owners of horses bought ourselves in, in what we know is a, currently a challenging climate of prize money. Um, as you said, uh, we had a, a winner of, of the 125,000 uh, Group 1 bonus um, in its first year with our post boy Nature Trail, which was wonderful. And we've had some pretty agonisingly close misses with the 125,000 Ascot, Royal Ascot part of the bonus. We had um, Go Bears Go beaten just ahead in the Norfolk Stakes in the first year. And then three Craven graduates have placed last year. So we're getting there and hopefully 2023 will be the year. Um, and of course, the £15,000 Tattersall's Craven Breeze Up bonus is just really popular. Unsurprisingly, with, with its winners, we've paid out over half a million pounds in bonus prize money. Um, and between the bonuses and some pretty unprecedented success on the race course in the last few years, I think the prospects of anyone coming to the Tats Craven Breeze Up sale um, look pretty good this year. Chloe Pitts there from Tattersalls. Uh, I'm just about to get on a plane. I'll be in Florida tomorrow. Fountain of Youth Stakes on Saturday as part of a seven-race telecast on CNBC. Uh, first racing operate both Gulfstream Park and Santa Anita, the two destinations for this weekend's main racing in the US. Uh, there, Peter Rotundo's been speaking to me about what we can look forward to. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, first racing tour, basically, we kicked it off on Pegasus Day, and we're going to end it on Preakness. Uh, the first Saturday in February was a big day between Gulfstream and Santa Anita with major Triple Crown preps. This Saturday, first Saturday in March, we have the same sort of thing. We have the Fountain of Youth and the San Fel Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream and the San Felipe at um, at Santa Anita. Thirteen stakes races over the over the two cards on the same day. I believe there's 263 horses entered. Uh, this Saturday is going to be pretty epic. Uh, and that's particularly pertinent in, in California because, let's face it, Californian racing and Santa Anita have not been renowned for huge fields over the last few years. Is this a, a definitive sign of an upswing, particularly as regards the, the better races? The, the, the big cap, for example, um, it's a double-figure field for the first time in ages. Yeah, I mean, 11 horses in the big cap, uh, a lot of Pegasus. Uh, I think there's four Pegasus uh, alumni coming out of that. So, yeah, it's a ball positive signs in that, in that regard. And the idea that, you know, under the first racing tour brand, it's just, we want to make the big days bigger. We are running these cards on the same day. And literally, there'll be every 20 minutes, there'll be stakes action for about three hours um, when they're both running at the same time. So, I, you know, I'm looking forward to it. The CNBC show here from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., uh, in the U.S. Eastern, we'll have seven live races. So we're cramming it in, loads of wagering opportunities, loads of good horses running. I suppose the headline in terms of the Kentucky Derby at the moment is Forte, the Breeders' Cup juvenile champion. Uh, it, it, ought he win the, the, the Fountain of Youth? He should. I, I mean, the, the field is excellent. I was 10, uh, 10 horses in there. But, you know, he is the champion. He's been working out. They've been, you know, shooting the videos. We've been watching up in Palm um, Palm Beach Downs there with, with Todd's group. And he just looks, he looks the part. There's no doubt about it. So I think he's a deserving favorite. And, you know, you, you, know, you would think he might need one going in, but he, I think he's, he's the real deal. Uh, you know, I, these are all big fields, all competitive stakes. And I think um, the wagering opportunities are endless. Continuing in the United States, the Hall of Fame ballot has been announced. There are six new names for possible election into the prestigious National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame. They are Arrogate, California Chrome, Lady Eli and Songbird. They are four horses that join previously nominated Blind Luck, Game On Dude, Arbor de Grasse, Kona Gold and Rags to Riches, none of whom thus far have managed to satisfy the voting criteria, more of which in a moment. John Sadler's on the ballot this time, so is Kieran McLaughlin. And they join previously nominated trainers Christoph Clement, Graham Motion, Doug O'Neill and John Sheriffs. And the most controversial um, non-entrant over the recent years has been Corey Nakatani, who is on the ballot again. Can he finally get through? And you heard from Chris McCarran on this podcast a few weeks ago, imploring voters finally to wave Nakatani in. I'm joined by FanDuel TV's uh, senior presenter, Mike Joyce, is with me now. Mike, you know all of these trainers, you know all these jockeys, you know all these horses. Um, you also know quite a bit about the mechanics of Hall of Fame voting. It's Byzantine, but it's fascinating. It is. I, I think it's a little less reliable and a little less accurate than the eclipse voting. I think we get a more a, a more accurate picture of the year every you know every January when they do the eclipse pre presentations than we do of the careers of the Hall of Fame. I think Corey Nakatani's situation is one that has most of us in California pulling our hair out year after year that he's not in. Um, especially last year after Daryl McCarrick goes gets in, 
he was a wonderful jockey. I would take nothing away from his accomplishments, but to think that he had uh, a more Hall of Fame worthy career than Corey Nakatani, who had more wins than him, more earnings, you know, his success in Breeders' Cup races, the, the riding titles he had in Southern California. Uh, so it is somewhat rough as far as the accuracy of who should get in, who's deserving and who's not. But um, if not gets in, I think that'll go a long way for us in California because it, it does seem to have a bit of an East Coast bias. Uh, and you know, you can see by some of the names that are still out there waiting to get in, you would imagine they would have gotten in by now. Yeah, and the museum is in Saratoga, and I'd imagine... Do we know who the, the 150-strong voting corpus is? So just, just to make it clear, you need over 50% of the returned votes in order for your for your uh, entry to be secure but you can you can put a check by as many of those nominees or as few as you want if you're one of the voters right it's i mean it's it's very similar to the hall of fame voting that we have in the u.s for for the the baseball writers for the baseball hall of fame and and so on and and it's in that fashion cooperstown also which shows holds the mlb hall of fame is in new york as well so it, it it is very similar where you have to meet a certain threshold uh, and 50% is that number. So of the 150, you need 75 votes. But uh, I was saying this earlier uh, when we were off off not being recorded. I I don't know many Hall of Fame voters. I know a lot of Eclipse voters, right? I mean, almost everybody you know that, that covers the, the sport as a presenter, as a turf writer, as an Eclipse voter. But a lot of the Hall of Fame voters, there's some well-known names and some turf writers like you would suspect, but then there's you know, museum curators that you've never heard of. And there's local press from Saratoga that you've never heard of who have been voting for years that, I don't know, I, I would, don't want to say are non-deserving, but I do think they have very myopic views of the game. All right. Well, let's imagine that Mike Joyce has a a vote this year. I know you don't, but uh, imagine you do. Let's let's deal with the with those who are our first time eligible nominees. First of all, Mike Joyce has a piece of paper in front of him, and I'm going to ask you whether you would vote uh, this horse or, or human in, and I'm going to ask you whether you think the 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 body of voters will arrogate. First of all, I mean, surely he goes in, doesn't he? First time of asking, I would vote him in because when he retires, you know, he's the richest racehorse of all time. Um, and you're never going to see anyone pull off that four-race feat again. You're never going to see a horse go Travers Classic, um, Pegasus Dubai World Cup. Like that's, not, that's, that's just not going to get pulled off. If it is, it's a super horse to do it. So, yeah, I think it's obvious. I think it's going to be held against him. I don't know that he gets him because I think it's going to be held against him that he only really had a great four-race run. And, you know, they redlined him and blew the engine in Dubai, and he came back and he wasn't quite the same horse. So I would guess he doesn't get in. I would say he needs to be in. Because when you set a mark like that, then you are an all-timer. Whether it's surpassed or not, you hold that record, right? You're in the Guinness Book for that one day at the very least until someone takes it away from you. So I would vote. I, I think they hold it against him. I think he'll eventually get in, but not in year one. It's ridiculous if he doesn't get in. He should be, and of course he should, arrogate one of the great horses of the modern era. Uh, California Chrome, then, the, the rags to riches story, the horse that Arrogate beat in the 2016 Epic Breeders' Cup, the Derby winner. You know, you remember the man with the mustache and all the controversy. That was him. That was California Chrome. Does he get in? Yes, he gets in. Yes, I would vote. I think um, his body of work being more extensive to be what he was at age three, and you know, if he doesn't get stepped on coming out of the gate, who knows if he wins the Triple Crown or not. And then to come back at age five and do what he did, you know, he's a grade one winner on turf as well. People forget his Hollywood Derby. Uh, he beat the Queen's Plate winner in uh, Lexi Lou. It was a tremendous performance at Del Mar. So I think he has that complete resume. I know some of the voters will hold the connections against him 
um, but not enough to make a difference. I think he'll he'll get in by a sizable margin. Now, this is a trickier one. I mean, Lady Eli, she was hugely popular. She was a multiple-graded stakes winner, multiple-grade uh, one winner. She came back from a horrible bout of laminitis. But does her story and her resurgence entitle her to a place amongst the greats? I wouldn't vote for her, but I could be convinced in coming years. You know, if I was looking at ballots where, you know, turf female runners, there there wasn't quite as many measuring up to her. But I would say no. I, I She'd be a no right now. And not by much. I think she was a wonderful filly, but... I don't necessarily think she was an all-timer. And do you think the New York uh, devoted voters will 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 swing her in, or, or will they make her wait? I think they'll make her wait. I think they'll make her wait. I, I don't know if she eventually gets in. I wouldn't be surprised if she does, but I'd be very surprised if she gets in Michigan. And what about Songbird? Now, there's there's going to be a bit of human antipathy, isn't there, towards Songbird's trainer, Jerry Hollendorfer? I don't think so. I don't think on the East Coast they really hold it against them, and I think the industry really took his side rather than the Stronic Group side when they made him lead because it was the rash of breakdowns at Santa Anita. We all know the horrible story, and he was the first trainer they banned because he wasn't really changing his ways, and he did have you know a bad record with with injuring horses. Um, I my trouble with Songbird is, and you know this because you've covered racing in the U.S. for for uh, decades, but maybe some of your listeners don't. The problem in the U.S. is that every filly that gets to the top of that division, every filly that becomes the best filly or the best mare in that division, we say is the next is the greatest one of all time. Azari was the greatest mare of all time. Zenyatta was the greatest mare of all time. Rachel Alexandra was the greatest mare. Royal Delta was the great. I mean, every single one. We're like, oh, she might be the greatest of all time. Beholder was the greatest mare of all time. So you either put them all in when they rise to the top and become the greatest mare in their division. Or you have to be very selective. I don't know that she's a shoe in for me, um, just because. I mean, she probably is. I'd probably end up voting for her. Um, it, it's it's a toss up, but I just feel like there's we anoint whoever the champion mare is one of the greatest of all time, and I don't know if she's any better than Harvard DeGrasse was. You know, like I don't know that she has a better resume than her, and she's had to wait for years. So I think she was an excellent filly. I think her throwdown in the distaff. With with Beholder, it was one of the greatest Breeders' Cup races of all time. Um, I don't know if I vote for her this year. She probably gets in, but that division is just a tough one for me because we're always saying we speak in hyperbole. Once somebody becomes dominant, Latruska, greatest filly of all time. I mean, Daddy, just, come on now, Mike. On no one, on. no one ever said that. Surely, right? No, John, but she's like, on a tear. I take your point, and and when you have when you when you when you race fillies and mares exclusively against their own gender, you do tend to get that because you get strings of wins by their name, and then you can start wheeling out the superlatives before they get realistically tested. Which, of course, is why fillies like uh, Rachel Alexander and, and Zenyatta should have been more venerated because they did do it against the Colts. Now, John Sadler, this is timely because we've just come off the back of flight line. Does, is that enough to swing him in first time or not? I think so. I I, I, I would vote for him just because um, he. it's not just, it's not just flight line. It's, you know, the way he's tailored his barn the last five years. I mean, he was a guy that was great with sprinters. He was a guy that, you know, a lot of them, started out, you know, playing the claiming game. He's just done it on all levels for me. I think his numbers are pretty good. He, he's not quite at 3,000 wins, but he's well over 2,000, 2,600, something along those lines. And the way he's tailored his program to dominate the older horse division in California for the last five or six years, I mean, other than Arrogate and Chrome, you know, we've seen him come with, you know, everyone from Accelerate to Tripoli to Catalina Cruiser to, of course, um, you know, the flight line this last year. I just think that, 
he's world-class. If he doesn't get in this year, that's fine. He'll be on the ballot for years to come. He'll eventually get in. I would vote him in, knowing that perhaps I have a little bit of a West Coast bias, but I think he is a world-class trainer. Okay, but will he get in this time? I say no. I say they're gonna make, they're gonna make him wait. I say I would I would give him my vote, but they're gonna make him wait. Now, Kieran McLaughlin, I, I, would it would I be fair to say that that he's on the ballot you know, for 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 multiple reasons? Now, clearly, he was an incredibly successful trainer. He did an awful lot in a short space of time. He he trained a, a champion racehorse or multiple champion racehorses, notably in Vassour. Um, he's been eligible before, uh, but he's a newcomer to the Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, but might he get in? because people think he's a, an inspiring story and an all-around good guy as well. I think the all-around good guy, for sure. I don't think people make much, and he certainly doesn't make much of the MS. He, you know, we, we all see him, you know, he's got he's got a hitch in his walk, for sure. And, you know, it's definitely slowed him down. And you can, you can see the effects taking their toll on him as the years go by, although slowly, but they are taking their effects on him. And it is something, but I think it's something that he overcame so casually uh, to really speak to you know his his you know internal fortitude that you almost in some ways don't think about it as much i think it's more that he's very likable um he's always treated his horses and his people well i think that's going to go further than people thinking of him overcoming multiple sclerosis but uh, i do think he's a hall of fame trainer um i think like you said he's, he's trained multiple champions he you know he had a program that was top 10 in earnings every year he was training for at least a decade, if not more, which is a very difficult thing to pull off. And, you know, you look at, you know, when Bill Mott was inducted in the hall of fame, you know, his resume looked very much like a Kieran McLaughlin's does right now. Okay. Um, of course, Bill Mott's been in the hall of fame for a while. And so that those wins have expanded and those runs have expanded and the, the, the prolific nature of his program has expanded. But um, I, I think, yeah, apples to apples. I think here, and I think he gets in and I would get my vote. Okay, so um, one and one there. Now, what about the ones who ha ha should ha have been nominated before who haven't got in yet? Um, let let's rattle through these. Say wh whether you would vote for them or whether they get in. Christophe Clement. Yes, and yes, he should get in, and I would vote for him. Uh, Graham Motion. I'm going to say no, not yet. I think in a few years' time he will, but not yet. Uh, Doug O'Neill. One hundred percent. Two Derby wins. You got to put him in. All the Breeders' Cup success. Yes. Okay. Do you think he will get in? I don't. I think they're going to hold it against him because of the positives, and he's got somewhat a checkered test pass, but I think he'll eventually get in, but not this year. John Sherris, the man who trains Zenyatta. I say no, because without Zenyatta, I don't know that he's a Hall of Fame trainer. He does have the Derby win, but he, I, I don't even think he's won 500 races in his career, so he doesn't have the prolific numbers. Uh, we've covered off Nakatani, of course, so who you believe should be in. Yeah. And, and, and Chris McCarron was very eloquent on this podcast. He went through all the reasons why people haven't put him in, but he said it's an absolute travesty that he hasn't got in. Do you agree? I think he's got more talent, more ability than 90% of the riders in the Hall of Fame right now. And I think he's better just flat out resume wise than a number of riders in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you can't take when he retired his Breeders' Cup wins, his earnings, the number of riding titles he had in Southern California. And then just you want to talk about the litmus test of, of what his colleagues say about him. I mean, he was an absolute genius and a magician on the turf course. And he used to say, give me the fourth best horse and I'll win the race. And he was one of the very few riders who would do that. And if you watched him day in and day out, Man, there. I mean, he was he was something special, and I, I think it's a travesty. Now, I think maybe this this podcast ought to just start a campaign to get Nakatani in the Hall of Fame. Maybe it starts here. Maybe it started with McCarran. Maybe it continues here and onwards through the through the voting period. Right, uh, horses that haven't made it in yet but are still nominated, still on the ballot. Blind luck, yay or nay? Uh, nay. Uh, game on, dude. 
yay. I think he's so underrated. They couldn't beat him in grade one races in California for years. And, you know, if he, if he won, wins one of those classics, we're not even having this discussion. Will they put him in? I don't think they will. Um, I think there's there's still some question about how tough the competition he beat in California was, and I think the East Coast bias keeps him out. Havre de Grasse. I'm on the fence. I'll say no. I say they don't put her in. I don't. I don't know that I'd give her the vote. Poor old Kona Gold. He was running in the last century. Bless him. Still on the yeah. Ballot. I I love him. I vote for him. I don't think they put him in because he's a sprinter. But God, he was fantastic. Uh, and here's the most controversial. And here's the Corey Nakatani of horses. Rags to riches. She's been on this ballot a gazillion times, and Todd Todd Pletcher wanted her to be in more than himself, but he did get in. Well, here's the thing: I, when are we ever going to see a filly win the Belmont like that? I mean, I guess we almost saw it again with Ness this year. She was as close as they got, and you can sit, make the case that she was best in the Belmont this year. But I mean, she beat Curlin in the Belmont straight up. I think that is a performance that holds up over time. I know how lightly raced she is, you know. If they but if they eventually put a flight line in on six starts and they put you know, arrogated on for his four race win streak. That one performance, that Belmont was such an all time. I, I, I'm, I'd vote for her. I don't think they put her in. I think they're all they're going to keep her out. I think there's too many people that think it's not enough. Is it still snowing in California? It's just melted now. Now, now, now the wash is coming down and then taking us out through the San Gabriel River. All right. When uh, when Nakatani makes the Hall of Fame, the sun will come out again. Michael Joyce, thank you very much. Nick, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, my thanks to Mike. I hope you enjoyed that. I, I certainly did. Rishi Passad is still with me. Uh, Rishi, uh, congratulations, because as we've been recording this podcast, an email has dro dropped in my inbox, a press release, urgent release in, in Block Capitals, broadcaster Rishi Passad in bold, appointed as Racing Foundation trustee. The Racing Foundation is delighted to announce Rishi Passad has been appointed to its board of trustees. Passad is a highly... Anyway, enough of that. Um... <laughs> On a, on a serious note, though, yeah. uh, this is a um, a very uh, worthwhile uh, organisation and an excellent appointment, in my opinion. Well, you're very kind, Nick. Um, I I'm particularly keen. I mean, it says it in the press release, but yeah, I mean, you and I, we know we've been very lucky to to do the jobs that we've done in our lives, and it's an opportunity to to give something back, and I'd love to do that. Um, Racing Foundation, you know, they they send, tend to uh, focus on people equine welfare you know community engagement and obviously there's a lot of changing nature of the sport with environment and, and uh emerging issues but um the community engagement in particular is something that i'm i'm really keen to to push forward i'm very keen to try and find the next generation of, of racing fans race goers because you know obviously that is an area that is um is dwindling um and i'd like to to play a part in that particular uh, segment but yes um looking forward to, to to playing a positive role for the sport at least excellent and do you have a positive tip for me for this afternoon i am going to give a horse in the first race a horse making his handicap debut today at taunton and anybody who remembers racing from i think about the 90s there was a chestnut sprinter called bertie wooster do you remember him i do and i'm a just trying to remember face. yeah i remember the horse I'm just trying to remember yeah, a bit more he, about him. Well, he was pretty good. He used to run every week in those big handicaps. Um, so when I saw the, when originally when this horse called Bertie Wooster first started appearing on the race card, trained by Joe Tizard, I paid particular attention to him. Therefore, I've been watching his last couple of runs, which have been at Taunton in better races, uh, in novice hurdles. And he bumped into a couple of the Nichols horses, uh, Whole Town Hero last time. And he's running in the handicap for the first time today, mark of 101. I know he's got top weight. 
ultimately, but it's a very weak race. Um, and ignoring the sentiment behind the name Bertie Wooster, I thought he he had a pretty decent chance each way. Um, Rishi, thank you very much. Uh, Bertie Wooster, Richard Holder. Richard Holder used to train Bertie Wooster. That's Wooster. it. Yeah. Um, wonderful memories. Uh, and best of luck this afternoon. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be joining you from Miami tomorrow. That was Thursday, the 2nd of March. Bye-bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.